Hello and welcome back to Movie Hell. This time I, your halftime host, Ryan, am joined by my other half, Joe. And I've done something again that I'm ashamed to admit. I have chosen a movie more or less at random with very little knowledge about it based on something somebody said to me. Uh, we are talking about Nightmare Alley, a 2021 film by Guillermo del Toro or directed by Guillermo del Toro. And it first, I'll say it has an excellent cast. Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot of people in this. Bradley Cooper is the main character that we follow through or the actor who plays the main character. But there's uh, Kate Blanchett, Tony Collette from mm-hmm. Knives Out. That's the only thing I can think of with her. I know I've seen her in other stuff. Yeah, me too. Sure. Uh Kate Blanchett, I almost forgot that she was Hella in Thor Ragnarok until I heard that voice. That like deep Kate Blanchett voice. <laughs> That's right. I, <laughs> Willem Dafoe as a carny, what he was born to do. It's great. Play a carny. We thought it was a lighthouse guy, but I don't know. No, the Could carny, be a carny is so good. Uh Richard <laughs> Jenkins from Spurn After Reading. Right. Yeah, he was in Burn After Reading, one of the things he's been in. He's one of those guys, not super, super A-list actor, but he's been in a lot. Yeah. It's been in a lot. And then Ron Perlman is the last one that really stuck out to me. It's like, oh, him. Wow. So quick synopsis. The movie starts following Stan Carlisle, Bradley Cooper's character, as he throws a body in a hole in a floor in a house, burns the house and walks out like it's normal. And then from there, it's just sort of following him as he silently, you know, travels away, ends up in a diner or outside a diner and like car dealership and service station or whatever that was supposed to be. It's like the 1930s. Yeah, mm-hmm. So and he ends up getting hired on as a carny and he's, you know, helping take care of the geek, which I noticed the name you used to sign into the session this time. So I appreciate that. Uh, the mm-hmm. geek is like the freak show person, but he really falls in well with the mentalists, Xena uh, and Pete, I believe. Yes. And so he kind of becomes, you know, at first he's just they're like, I'll pay you a dollar to help me load these trucks. And then like, hey, I'll give you five bucks if you come along with us and a hot meal and I'll buy this radio off you and whatever else. So he ends up going with them and. Then it cuts to, I think, like two years later. Yeah, it is. After, so, yeah, this is the story. I mean, really, it revolves around uh, Bradley Cooper's character, Stan Carlisle. Mm-hmm. In the beginning, I mean, he just looks like kind of a regular working class guy. And you don't know that he, it seems that he's down and out, you could say. Mm-hmm. Uh, that he gets off this bus all of a sudden that you had mentioned and. Like he, he's just swept up into this this carny world because apparently he needs a job. Maybe he's, you know, just getting away from whatever we saw in the beginning of the movie or whatever his reasons are. And it's just a kind of a journey for him. Uh, you end up finding out um, as the movie goes on and progresses little glimpses to kind of explain what has been seen in the beginning of the movie. And I went into this not knowing what to expect at all, not having any expectations. I kind of saw the cast. I was like, okay, let's check this out. And the beginning, as uh, as it started, it really, once we got into the carnival stuff, it really kind of grabbed me. 
Um, and I thought some of the things that were going on were pretty interesting, and I wasn't sure where it was going to go, especially being that it was a Guillermo del Toro uh, joint. It, I, I was wondering, was it going to go into some sort of supernatural kind of a thing yeah. where they're going to be maybe big giant robots that would come crashing into the carnival to battle big monsters. But no, no, that didn't happen. This was an actually interesting story of really Stan Carlisle, but all the characters that he interacts with through this. The things that happened in the carnival, that, that whole portion of the movie, which, what, the first third of the movie, a little bit more maybe, was all at the carnival leading yeah, up to... it was like almost half of it, yeah, I believe. Leading up to him and a person, another uh, carny he meets, a young lady, uh, running off together and to start a life because of some skills that he learns from one of the people at this carnival. And it was really kind of fun to watch all of that, how all of it progressed um, you'd mentioned uh, Willem Dafoe watching out for the geek, as they called him. And I'd never really heard of this. Uh, you know, I'd heard about carnivals and freak shows and different things. I'd never I'd never heard of what they called the geek, which I think was interesting. It's just they take somebody and they, they have him. It's like playing a role, but... He's almost kind of a prisoner at the same time. It's like a, it's a human, it's a person, but he's treated like as if a person was raised as an animal and he's just this half man, half beast, this wild thing that they throw live chickens to. And it's a whole, it's a whole bit. It's kind of what it is, but it's, it's not just like this person playing along. It's they really are, they've, they've got him kept, shall we say, and they're, they're keeping him strung along via alcohol, drugs. And it was interesting to see the interactions and how do I want to put it? The it really it really showed a different old timey world that I I appreciated the way it was shot and the way it was done. It was um, at least the, the lighting, the cinema, the way it was all done was dark and kind of brooding but it had a little some lighter moments and i think the carnival stuff out of everything in this movie i might have enjoyed the most i mean it might have been because some of the other carnival people i recognize as small bit players from other things um but it was it was fun and i mean willem defoe's in that and ron perlman both of them they were major carny players who i really enjoyed to watch and it was really interesting to watch Stanton Carlisle learning and growing as a character in like taking something that he's kind of naturally has an inclination towards because of his life and his upbringing into this whole mentalist idea and being able to do what's called cold reading, which I remember this South Park episode that pimped all that out back when, uh, what was it, that that show about that, it looks like a like a Karen, but she's a medium, and she goes around in these like richy suburb areas, and she's like doing these readings for people. I, I think she's called the Long Island Medium. Yeah, Long Island Medium. Yes, but yeah, that it was it was that it was doing these things, and you know, 
pretending to talk to people's dead relatives and giving people hope and all this other stuff. But it was, I thought it was put together pretty well. And I was interested once the couple left him and he meets another person who doesn't act at the carnival. And there's some interesting things that go on, but him and her leave. They want to go start a life together. And then the things that happened after that, it really, really kind of spiraled almost out of control. It was really interesting where they went with this. Yeah, it was. It gave me some some of the same feelings that uh, Flight of the Phoenix did, mm-hmm. where it's like, how is this going to go? What is this person going to do? I feel like most modern movies, it would you'd say some of the things that they said to each other, and one guy would just punch the other. Because we're, we're very used to movies and TV shows and storytelling where there's not really consequences for things. You know, like I walked in and Kim was watching, uh, what's the show with Ice-T as a detective? Oh, SVU. Uh, SVU, yes. Yeah. So this, he's sitting in a bar alone. Like him and the bartender, it's like the middle of the day. Another cop walks in, like the main one, the whatever. I don't know anybody's name because I don't watch the show. Elliot Stabler? No. That's played by Christopher Maloney, not him? No. I thought the lead's a woman. Either way. Benson. Think Olivia yeah, Benson. Yeah, probably it. So she walks in, like, sits down. She's like, hey, how's it going? He's like, oh, you know, just doing my thing. She's like, oh, hold on. Answers the phone. Oh, yeah, I'm on my way. And immediately leaves. And that happens all the time. There are so many shows where somebody will, like, sh- like I- I've known that I've talked about this before on mm-hmm. this podcast, that, like, if you and I got into an argument and this was a TV show, I would drive 25 minutes to your house, knock on the door, make some smart-ass remark that could have been a text, and then drive back home and waste, you know, $7 worth of gas. <laughs> and it's ridiculous. It's so ridiculous. I mean, it's much more visually interesting than a bunch of people sitting around, like, tapping out messages on their phone. But there's also the the stuff where you can just like hit somebody and there's no consequences or you can get into these fights and then everything's okay. After that, nobody's like, Ooh, you know, let's put Joe in our mental handle with care file now because we just saw him snap. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I kept waiting for some of these moments. Like there were, there was so much tension between some of these characters. Like when Pete's first doing this, this mentalist thing and he's reading Stan and Stan's clearly like starting to get upset because these the things that he's saying are true and they're getting close to home. And he's like, how did you know about this stuff? And he's like, ah, it's just like 90% chance that I'm going to be right. He's like, everybody has these problems. Like, they're super vague. Mm-hmm. But it, like, really gets to him for a second. And then there's so much tension. It's like, we don't know Stan that well. Yeah. We just saw him burn a body, like, 15 minutes ago. <laughs> like, what is he about to do to this older guy? <laughs> Pretty sure we saw him burn a body. And then before the point you're talking about, he got handy. So... Yeah, like from the a, guy's wife. Right? From like, or, I was like, oh, she's like, just this other. And I'm like, wait, are they? Wait, what? Is that? Hmm. Yeah, it's like, I scene. remember this scene from This Happened in True Blood. <laughs> like, anyway. <sighs> so I like that they allowed the tension to like sit and build. And it's, it, um, I think it's billed as a psychological thriller. I'm not sure. I looked at it. One of the places that I looked at it, it, it said that's what it was. Because 
I was going to try to have Kim watch it with me, and she's like, is it a horror movie? And I was like, no, I don't think so. So we looked psychological thriller, which fits with that, but it he like always wants more. And because he's always aiming for something higher, Stan, I'm talking about, mm-hmm. it, it does spiral out of control pretty badly and pretty quickly. And I, it's just, it's so enthralling to watch. Like his performances are really interesting. The interactions he has with other characters and these things that he's doing and his motivations are never totally clear. Cause sometimes he's like, Oh, I want to do this for this person because it'll help them. It'll give them hope. Like if they believe it, so what? Like they feel better about it. I'm fine. It's not hurting anybody, but then it's pretty clear at certain points that he's doing it for the money or for the prestige or because he's vengeful. Yeah, this was, this was, uh, it, it took you on quite the journey. And so after they leave and he starts this, going on the road with his wife and they, they do this mentalist show and they are going around and they have this code that, uh, they get from the man who teaches him in the carnival. And there's an interesting scene in it where as the audience, you're not quite sure on what went down. Like something said later on in the movie, like there's a claim made, but, and so I guess that's them trying to clear it up. But what happens during it, you know, there's some interactions with some characters and so he ends up getting, you know, the book that this older gentleman had that was uh, married to Zena, Zena, the uh, other well, one of the other carnies. And you're not quite sure what happens because there's just some little things that are that are put in that just seem as a natural progression of you're just watching what's going on, and then the callback to that interaction between him and Willem Dafoe. And he's explaining, you know, this is, this is not for sale. This is for sale. This is super dangerous, but this is for you to, you know, kill some brain cells. And the way everything kind of comes full circle, I think is pretty interesting. But as you, as you progress through this movie, I'm, I'm not sure how I felt about it. It was maybe I just I didn't want this character to uh, to be the bad guy. I didn't want Bradley Cooper's character because in the beginning he he seemed okay, like he was trying. He was he had some good motivations, like he was trying to help. Like he seemed concerned about this geek person, even though he had really no right to no particular reason to be. And, and he seemed like he was going around the carnival doing things that were that were helpful. Like he seemed like a, a good guy. And then as it progresses, it, the movie, like it turns. And I don't know if it's because this is how he was the whole time, or if it's his progression in, because he's getting better at this mentalism thing. And which for sure has to be a skill, being able to read people and make quick snap, excuse me, quick snap judgments, decisions, whatever, as you're, you know, doing your bit, and he's running it with his wife where certain ways that she might ask a question to him. Oh, does, uh, can you tell us 
Another thing about the item that I am holding, it just how she puts the combination of words together will give him clues as to what the item is, that it's, you know, a gold watch, not a brass watch, or that it's the leather, the band around it is worn versus new. And so when you know those, not only can you reference them, but then you can you can make assumptions about the person or the item that's in question and use that as part of your act. And so I don't know if him, as I said, he was just this kind of not good guy all along because he gets, you see the things that happens and it seems like he gets progressively worse in the actions and things that he's choosing to do. And I just, I, I, I'm not sure which reason I didn't like it for. If it was just because I liked him as a character and I didn't want to see that happen. And so that was hard to watch because it was all the whole thing of it was intriguing and compelling. Or if part of me was a little upset because, again, I saw this as something that, you know, one of our uh, favorite YouTubers or at least movie YouTubers, The Drinker, talks about it's a little bit of wokeness in this movie and the fact that it's again, I, I didn't see any male characters who were anything but kind of shit heels for the most part. Nobody was portrayed particularly good, except some of these, these other, the, the women who weren't ever portrayed as particularly bad. And I was curious as to, we talked about Kate Blanchett, but we haven't really explained her as um, she, she interjects herself into one of these uh, readings that he's doing at a big crowd, and she's a skeptic of the whole system. And she's right. She starts calling him out on stuff, and she's 100% correct in what she's calling him out on, but he's not, like, just admitting it. And he ends up reading her and doing a thing, and they end up having, you know. It's kind of an adversarial interaction. Yes. And she becomes a player in this whole, you know, thing that we're watching. And the, the whole thing is I'm, as I'm finishing it out, the way it ended, I kept wondering throughout it what her motivation was for it. That's one of the things I didn't understand. Like, I understand if somehow, like, what you saw in the very beginning of the show related to her in some way with the burning of the whole house and the body, if, if maybe that tied back around, but it didn't. And so I never understood what her motivation was to basically to out him. Like throughout, that's that's kind of what her job is in this movie. And spoilers, I guess, because that's kind of what she's trying to do. It's, But I mean, her first, as she first shows up as a character, that's what she's trying to do. Like from the outset when you meet her. Well, she shows up like to vet him so that some rich, important judge can... You know, see if he seems legit or not before he hires him to help him, I think, try to communicate with his son who died in the First World War. Yeah. And the wife of that judge you're talking about, that was Mary Steen Bergen, another actress that we technically know, but it was just a bit part. But what happened with those characters, the the judge and his wife, that I was like, what? So it was <laughs> it was surprising. Yeah. There were some that moments was one of the, in this. Yeah. There are a couple of big moments that are like mm-hmm. so out of character for how tame and just engaging the rest of it is. So I don't want to, I didn't want to like really look at it through that, you know, woke lens. I want to view it more as, you know what, this was, he was a character that I liked. And so I didn't want 
this to turn into that, even though that's just how the story was. So I can, I can, you know, I can deal with that for what I got or what I thought I got being a pretty, pretty decent psychological thriller. I liked some of the, just the way it all built up. He's, he's getting more and more confident in his abilities. And he eventually, thanks to uh, Kate Blanchett's character, is introduced, I don't want to say, was it introduced to or how their interaction came across, but there's another character, the one that you mentioned out of uh, Burn After Reading. He's this rich old man. Yeah, Ezra trying- Grindle, played by mm-hmm. Richard Jenkins. Yeah, he. I don't, I don't think she introduced him. I think he wound up coming to him and happened to be one of her clients. Or... That's the impression I got. I don't think they exactly explained how it was. He was just like asked to come there and he had already made a bunch of money off the other guy. So Mm -hmm. he was like, yeah, let's do it. Why not? Yeah. He didn't understand. And she tried to tell him in the beginning, like this is not somebody to be trifled with. Like he takes this more seriously than you could possibly imagine. And how all that played out, how all of it built up, like this grin, Grindle, Grindle, Grindle. He has this bodyguard guy who you've seen in other things too. This uh, smaller character guy, but I know I've seen him in things and I like him. I think he, for what the character he's playing in this, from the first interaction between him and Bradley Cooper to the to the very end of it, I really enjoyed that little bit. He he might not have been a big part, but he played it well. He he did it the way exactly the way he was supposed to. I like. Uh, the rich old man was a very interesting character, and you could tell from the very beginning, the first interaction, that I, I feel like as the audience watching it, you could tell that what Kate Blanchett's character said was correct, and this guy is not to be trifled with, that he is very serious about this. And I thought that was interesting, and I really enjoyed watching where that went. Yeah, it was a really interesting path that they went down because of him, you know, just starting to do things he wasn't really supposed to do. Um, But maybe I should ask first before we get into spoiler territory. How'd you feel about it? I mean, I know you said it was satisfying as a psychological thriller and all that, but like, what's your what's your take, your spoiler free take? Man, um. I don't – it's really hard for me to just say I like this movie because I, I don't know if I put it like that. It There were there were things that I enjoyed – I really enjoyed about it and things that I didn't like about it. But I the more I think about it, the more I feel like those things that I didn't like had more to do with me not wanting the story to go where it was going versus I didn't like the story. So it was one of those that you have this character that you're trying to root for. And then they turn into the one who's, you know, the, the terrible one, the one who's kind of making all the bad choices. And you're like, no, I want, no, make the right choice. What, what happened to, you know, who you were in the beginning. And it was unlike something like watching a Joker where you see what he eventually becomes but you understand why it is and you don't necessarily you're not rooting against it per se. You're just watching it unfold and you it's understandable. 
but watching it this way, I felt like I was actively rooting against it because I didn't want it to happen. But I, I there think it was. I liked that it did happen overall. The thing that I I dislike the most about it is when we when we watch movies like this, and we ask ourselves the, one of the biggest questions. I think you can ask yourself if you're going to do something like we're doing and review things is why are characters doing things? And if what you're seeing on screen really fits why you think this character might do something, what their motivations are. And I never really understood what hers, the psychologist that is, you know, pitted, pitted herself against Stanton, what, what that was about. Like, you see that this client she used to have, that Stanton is trying to fleece out of money by giving him this false sense of hope, you, you see that he has hurt her. Like, there's they, they show things and they talk about things that, like, she had to pay a price for having interacted with him at all and maybe not telling him something he wanted. Like, they didn't get super into it, but they you know that there's a negative you know, interaction between him and her. And now she tried to warn Stanton. I mean, kind of, I guess, I don't know if it was one of those like reverse psychology things. I know I'm going to tell him not to do this and that's just going to guarantee to make him do it. But what the motivation is behind all of it, because you don't know, they never really tie that back together. And I think that really bothered me about this because I, I feel like without doing that, it just leaves something hanging that doesn't make sense and not in a way that you leave it unsaid and you're kind of just letting the audience decide what they want. I just don't think it, it fit without some sort of explanation, just anything that might tie what he has done to why she wants to do it. Like maybe she just sees that he's a bad person and what he's doing, giving people false hope that she doesn't like people like him, just what they do. And so maybe she just chose him to do it for, but they don't do any sort of detail work telling the audience why that is, that maybe something happened to somebody in the past or anything that would give us a motivation for her. And that's the only part that I really didn't like. Otherwise, in general, good performances, a lot of it I liked. And so it, I I couldn't not recommend it. It might not be something that I would run out to the theater and pay to go see, yeah. but something that's already on a streaming service that I have, it was an interesting watch. Sure. I agree with quite a bit of what you said. I thought the performance was really good. I thought a lot of the movie was very well shot and interesting. I like the carnival scenes, I think, more than any of the rest of it, like while he's still learning this stuff. Because mm-hmm. he's just out on his own. Like we don't. You know, we don't know hardly anything about it. We learn a lot more as the movie goes on because that's how movies work, I guess. But I agree that there are points where characters are doing things we don't want them to do. And it it almost makes you feel like you don't like it. Like you're saying, it's like, yeah, go Stan, go psychologist lady, go what, you know, like do. Yeah, like there are points where everybody's doing something that I liked or that I enjoyed. And then. Then they make these decisions where it's like, oh, no, don't don't do that. <laughs> I was rooting for you in this. Like, don't know why. So I still 
I feel like this is going to be one of those movies where I appreciate it more the longer I'm away from it. You know, I got really wrapped up in it. Like, it really sucked me in a lot. Mm -hmm. And I had a lot of fun watching it and trying to guess what was going to happen. I guessed what the ending was going to be. Like, pretty early in. I just didn't know how it was going to end up there. But my initial oh, recommendation okay. would be... You mean the very... We'll talk about The very, it. very end. Yeah, 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 yeah. I see what you're saying. Sure. I didn't know what any of the rest of it was going to be. I just knew one specific point of what was going to happen. I can always guess like one, like that, like that fucking time travel movie that I keep bringing up over and over. And I never remember the name of, I guess the ending of that after like the first 20 or 30 minutes, but it's like, I have no idea how they're going to get there, but I think at least this thing is going to happen. So my recommendation is watch. If you have access to Hulu, it's on Hulu for, I mean, just your subscription price, or you can rent it through like Amazon or whatever else. Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, I guess eventually they're going to stop making Blu-rays and stuff, but it's probably available on Blu-ray or DVD somewhere. Probably, probably somewhere. So do you want to get into some spoilers now? Yeah, I would like to get into some of that. Not, I mean, I don't want to dive too deep into this. But just like spoilery territory. Yeah. So. All right. So I have a question for you. Okay. And maybe I missed it. Did Stan kill Pete? See, that's what I was referring to earlier. When yeah, I, said I thought some you were. thing that goes on, and it's admitted later on he says he did. Or or she, the psychologist, refers to Right, she brings it, it up. Like, that, like he told him. her about it. Yeah. And like, like he claimed that he did that. Did you really right. do it? And that was one of those, because every scene with Willem Dafoe is always just great. And so there's a scene where he goes in, Stan goes in with him, and he's like, all right, this is this is like this stuff we use for almost like embalming fluid or something. It's, it's Yeah, he said it's good like, for pick. He's like, it's good for pickling, but it's poison. Right. They use it to put like the some of the creatures that are in like jars. jars. Yeah. yeah, it's it's head fluid from uh, Futurama. Exactly. It's head, absolutely had totally head fluid. Or whatever now, they called it. There's an episode where they're drinking that. Do you remember that? And they all get like super high off of it. I probably have seen it. They're partying in the head museum. And anyway. Oh, yes. Yes, I do. <laughs> Damn Futurama. So, yeah, the the whole area that, that Willem Dafoe's character runs, the geek and the free, the, these like jars of all these oddities. He's got like this weird mutant baby thing that's like his prized possession on a pedestal behind a velvet rope. And Stan is like, he's being shown. <coughs> Excuse me. Stan's like being shown the world of the carnies and he's, he's being brought into it and he kind of has to earn his way in. Yeah. Like he, he has to work hard. He, he gets somebody to work with this uh, Pete and his wife and his, cause they have a little act. It's like, they, they aren't really doing it anymore. They're doing this fake mentalist act the, the way they have it set up. Uh, and it's just a really a really bait and switch for the audience who's paying attention. But it's just a, it, like it's it's to be entertaining. It really is to be entertaining. You know, that's what all of these things are to do. Uh, the woman he ends up marrying, she has this like uh, act where she does electricity and it like courses through her body. But she's grounded. So it doesn't really matter. It just is this really cool light show. And there are some things that go on in it, like there's a raid that's pulled on 
the whole uh, carnival when they're in one of these towns. And it's really interesting how Stan's character is able to step up and and use this uh, blossoming ability that he's got to be a mentalist to try and get the carnival out of it. And it really solidifies him as like a member of the group afterwards, which is uh, it was just fun to watch all that. The first half of this movie, I have to say, Holligans, I enjoyed way more than the second half. Like, realistically, because everything that happened in the first half made sense. There were motivations I understood, for the most part, minus the did he kill Pete thing, that that's left intentionally vague, which is okay. I was like, did he, did he not? I liked that it was left vague. That was fine. But, like, everything I understood, and I liked how it all played out. But then they're out on their own. And then this psychologist, Kate Blanchett, gets into the picture and the way all that was handled, the interactions between those two, I just, it's, I can't get past, I couldn't understand her motivation, and that made that part of it really difficult. But then you had, uh, no, I'm going to say Griswold, but I know that's not right. Grindel. Grindel. <laughs> Crimes of Grindel, Grindelwald. Yeah. Um, they, his character was really interesting, and all the people he had around him is, you know, all his employees and the way everything played out with him. Like, you could see that it was going to be, this is not going to end well. Like, that was just obvious. Like, oh, how is this going to go down? And, like, it it ended almost the only way it could have ended. Like, I, I think you're right. I didn't I didn't call it from the very beginning. Like, oh, I bet, I bet this is what happens. And the way it, you know, ends up playing out toward the very, very end. But I think it made sense. Once I, once you saw him afterwards after everything goes down with the psychologist and this rich old man and the scam he tries to pull on him and the way everything plays out after that and i saw him and i'm like oh yeah that's obviously what's going to happen now and then it just rolled right into it i i did i thought the ending made sense i i did enjoy kind of how it how it wrapped up and it just this was a unique movie. I, I do like Guillermo del Toro, so I would trust to watch something that he does. There are certain uh, actors and or directors and things that you just like them, and so you're willing to check out whatever it is that they put out. But one thing I wanted to mention, I don't know if you noticed this, that uh, Paul Anderson from like the Anderson Brothers was the first geek. Yeah, I didn't notice it in the moment, but I saw it later when I was looking up who was who. Because mm-hmm. I couldn't uh, think of who played Ezra at first. Like, I just couldn't. That name wouldn't come to me. And then, yeah, I saw that Paul Anderson geek number one. Uh-huh. And I was like, that's oh, a, really? That's okay. A, that's yeah. pretty. All right. That's cool. So, yeah. This... Yeah, I kind of I kind of called that from when the geek escaped, like, his first night there, Stan's first night there. Mm-hmm. And they're looking for him they're like if you find him don't try to take him alone call somebody or try to like kind of um you know shepherd him out this way like what's what's the word i'm looking for like be you know be like a cattle dog and just yeah, herd yeah. him this way uh and he tries to treat him a little different he's like hey i'm not gonna blow the whistle on you or whatever i'm not gonna hurt you like you never done anything to me and the guy hits him with a rock and then he's like fuck this and just like whales oh, on what are you yeah whales on him and then yeah, it's like, all right, you're one of them now, so I feel like you're going to end up in that position later. But I want to go back to the motivation of the psychologist because I was confused. I, are you, you're confused by her motivation to set him up 
for the ending, right? Yes. I was confused by her motivation to help him in the first place. Cause she's, he's like, Hey, we can make a bunch of money doing this together. And she's like, I don't care about the money. She's like, I'll give you information if you give me the truth. And then they shake hands and it's like, what do you want that for? That doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, unless it's just a game for you to have power over him by having information on him. But for her end, I think it was like Broly level simple. I think she was just getting back at him for putting her down in front of a crowd. I think she was just like tearing his entire life down. Although it still seems really complicated. Like a lot of things had to go exactly right. This is like Dark Knight Joker level complicated plot. Like everything has to go exactly wrong. Or maybe she was just going to keep feeding him this information, giving him enough rope to hang himself until it finally happened. And something just went horrifically wrong because she knew he was going to eventually self-destruct. Yeah. I mean, it could easily have been that it was very interesting. He, he had this, uh, I guess this personality trait where, Oh, I don't drink. Yeah. And like, that there was, was another... a conversation between those two about it. And I thought that was very interesting. And yeah, I think, I think you're right. I mean, whether her motivation to help him or her motivation to double cross him, maybe you're right on the double cross. And it's just her trying to get back, but they're, I don't know. Maybe this is, is this me being too reliant as an audience member to be spoon fed information? Or is this something that I can have as a legitimate gripe? Because I don't think this was made clear in any way. I think it's just, yeah, I think it's more the second. I kind of got it. Cause he, he was like, you're not powerful or you're not powerful enough or something like that. After she tries to out him as a fake. Mm-hmm. And then towards the end, like she shoots him in the ear and she's like, am I powerful enough for you now? And it's like, okay, I'm pretty sure that's your motivation. Okay. But it's so silly. She's like, look at my chest. Like I've been gutted like a fish before because I fucked with the wrong people and I'm going to help you fuck with the wrong people. And I'm going to give you information that only I could give you. She says that at least once. Yeah. Like you could have only gotten this from me. And so you have to be really careful. Right. This Grindle that you're dealing with isn't dumb. If you're if you're regurgitating this information back to him, he's going to know the only place you could have gotten it was for me. And that it, it was it seemed like one of those where she doesn't want you to be a part of this because it might come back to her. Like and that's that's at least a motivation I can understand. Like, don't do this. Because I don't want to be a part of this. I already got jacked up by this guy. You're not going to get me killed. Like I, uh, and for for the time frame in which we're dealing, for a woman to have that sort of prestige and a practice, a psychology practice like that, with that sort of like she had a button on her desk that started a tape recording machine. Like, do you, what kind of technology that is then? To have yeah. that, like that is, you're like one of the top people in the world to get there, and that's not something you would see super often for a woman in that day and age. Not that it's not possible, but yeah, but this is 1946 where a lot of this is happening. Mm-hmm. Like because he says it at one point, they give him a polygraph, and it's part of the whole plot mm-hmm. with uh, Grindle. But it, so what bugged me about it was that and 
I guess also just, I mean, you're right. Her motivation, they didn't make it super clear. It seems like she just really doesn't like him, but she, he's going to leave. Like he comes to pick up money that he kept with her and he's like, Oh, this is just singles. Like it's supposed to be, I don't know, hundreds or twenties or something. Yeah. And he's like panicking. And this is after she said, so he's got, he's got what he thinks is the money in like an exorcist bag. Right. Mm -hmm. And he's about to walk out. He puts his head on and she's like, I really did love you. And he's like, what'd you say? He does the opposite of the grandpa, uh, Abe Simpson thing. Like the walk in, put the hat down, put it back on. No, he like puts it on and then takes it back off. Cause he's like, no, I'm staying. Yeah. He's like, what'd you say? And she's like, what did I oversell it? And then she sits down and starts the recorder with the little hidden button and then starts talking to him. She's like final therapy session with, you know, Stan Carlisle. And she starts saying all these things that don't make any sense. And she's like, what do you think is in the bag or something like that? And he like dumps it out and it's money, but it's mostly ones. Right. It's like in uh, that scene in uh, my cousin Vinny. Like, yeah, I got your money right here. All right, well, fan it out. Let me see it. How do I know that's not a bunch of one, 20 wrapped around a bunch of ones? Yeah. So <laughs> he, he guess he didn't fan it out. Yeah, he panics all of a sudden, mm-hmm. and then she's just kind of playing with him. She's like, she's making, she's obviously doing it for the sake of the recording to make him sound like he's crazy or something. But instead of just being like, I don't understand what you're doing, I'm just going to leave. He like totally plays into it and sounds ridiculous. Like he's like, why are you doing this? We work together. We've been doing this together the whole time. And she's like doing what? I've never met you before. You've forced your way in here. Like I, you didn't even have an appointment. Yeah. It's like when, when Which have doesn't I make met sense you outside because, this office? Yeah. Yeah. Cause she also says like final appointment. That's like, what do you mean final appointment? If you just walked into your office for the first time and you never met him, that didn't make a ton of sense. Yeah, and just him like playing into that and not just leaving, because she hasn't called anybody. Like, there's nobody after him. He's killed Grindle and the guard, but that's it. And that was probably the smartest thing he did the whole time. And I don't know if it's just I, I couldn't tell if it was him, um, just being angry because the guy hit Molly. Molly mm-hmm. dresses up as the apparition, and when he realizes what's going on, he smacks her, and then he just beats him to death i didn't know if that was because he was angry or because he was like all right this guy just yelled i'm going to destroy you i have to do this for our sake yeah and then he kills the guard because obviously he has to i mean like the guard chases after him shooting at him he winds up hitting him with the car rather than getting shot (laughs) i mean he probably could have got away without getting shot anyway but anyway he goes back she hasn't like reported anything there's nobody really after him yet He's done everything right if he wants to get away with this in 1946. He's just going to grab his bug out bag, and for some reason he sticks around. Yeah, and so when she does what she does, and are we the shot? You said she shoots his ear. Yeah, she shoots him. I thought she shot him in the head. It looked like – but you see at one point when he's laying down, he's got this like graze mark across his cheek, and then a chunk of his ear is missing. Yeah, it's all jacked up. Did she do that on purpose and she meant to shoot him in the ear or she missed? Unless she's the greatest markswoman of all time in 1946 with a little pea shooter the size of a toy squirt gun from the dollar store. Like, I'm pretty sure she just meant to kill him and didn't fail to. 
Yeah, but that line afterwards, that almost is like a rehearsed line. Am I powerful enough now? Yeah. Like, it, it's it's a little weird because he goes after her then. I mean, it's and, totally possible that they meant for it to look intentional. Mm-hmm. But it's like, you and I shoot. It would be really hard to do that with a modern gun that is much bigger and much more accurate. Like a little pocket pistol like that. Like that would be so hard. So difficult. Uh, but I guess if she's like, eh, if she, she, she's like, if he dies, he dies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So she does that and he goes after her and except for the cops happen to be on their way. Like she, she calls them somehow and says, Hey, they're on their way or what? I don't remember if it's, she calls them while she's talking to him during this or if she just relays to him. Oh, I called she, them. No, she calls them while he's on the ground. Right. Like she shot him in the ear. He's like stunned and on the ground. He's starting to crawl towards her and she's on the phone and she's like, there's a man in my office. Help. And then he grabs the phone and starts trying to strangle her with the phone cord. Right. And like, like during that, they come in. Like somehow in 1946, they got the phone call, made it all the way to the building, all the way to what is obviously a a far up floor and are breaking in the windows, like on the doors to get in within like seconds. Yep. They must have had DeLoreans. (laughs) Seemed a little odd because with what's going like, he'd have just killed her. Like he would have just killed her and been long gone before they got there and taken the wire that she was recording on. Yep. And they would have been like, what happened? because oh, some random guy just broke in and then he could have just continued on with his life right they look down and see you know the pile of blood that she, they'd eventually realize wasn't hers and just be like ew gross somebody clean that up yeah <laughs> no. and they would have it would have even added to his like somebody stole my car story mm-hmm. yeah it was uh I mean like his wife didn't end up wanting anything else to do with him because of who he was turning into. And it's, it's just a spiral. And I, I just, I didn't like kind of where, where it went because I wanted him to be the good guy and he wasn't, but I still thought, I thought it was an interesting story overall. Even if I can't really understand what her motivations were. Yeah. It was, I got shutter Island vibes from it. Okay. Because of the way he chooses to end up. Same I think that can make sense. I haven't seen Shutter Island, so that doesn't help me. But I'm sure some of our oh. our listeners have seen Shutter Island, so maybe they'll get that reference. All right. Well, I won't spoil anything about it for you then. Maybe we'll yeah, do it someday. But no. <laughs> yeah, the way he ends up, he – so earlier on, he is – you know, they drop the geek off at a, at a hospital because he's, like, dying. Right? He's hospital got a fever. He has a head wound. Whatever. Clinic center, who knows? Something. Yeah. And then Willem Dafoe's character, uh, Clem, right? Mm -hmm. I think so. He buys a mistake dinner. Yeah, he's like, steak and eggs eggs on me. (laughs) And so he's like, how do you get the geeks? And he's like, oh, you get them from, you know, like shelters and nightmare alleys and stuff. Like he throws that word out there. That Mm -hmm. was where I knew, like for sure, that has to be what's going to happen. Like why else would they call this movie that? But it's like you get him from these desperate places. You put a little bit of opium. You put a little bit of opium in their booze. And then you hook him on that. And he tells him this whole thing. Like, this is how you talk to him. You're like, hey, I'm not going to force you. But we've got this temporary thing. If you want to temp as a geek, you can do that until we get a real one. And then, 
you know, you're like, ah, I don't know if this is working out. You know, you're not really acting like a geek. We got to get somebody real in here that can like bite the head off a chicken or whatever, whatever they want him to do. So at the end of the movie, he finds the carnival. He's like, I'm home. You know, like that's very much the feeling I got. He's like, okay, I can go back. Like, I know I can go back to this and do this. So he goes in and the guy turns him away. And then he's like, well, I do have something for you, but it's just temporary work. And he stresses just temporary the way that Clem said to stress. It's just temporary. And he's like, you know what a geek is? You think you yeah, can do and he that? Sits down with him, pours him a drink. Yeah. And then he just starts like laughing and crying. And he's like, I was born for it. Yep. It, it was, it seems it, like a, <sighs> a form of self punishment. Cause he kills. I mean, we find out what happens to his, the body that mm-hmm. went in that hole. That was his father. Like we know that it's his father. Cause we see these flashbacks over and over. Like he's thinking about it, reliving it. But we find out that he killed his father by just allowing him to freeze to death. Yeah. Like he's sick and bedridden. He opens the windows, takes his father's blankets, wraps it around himself and just sits there and watches him die. Then he kills. Yeah. Then he kills Pete, whether on purpose or not, he kills Grindle. He kills Grindle's guard. He, you know, hurt Molly. Like he didn't Mm -hmm. do anything to her physically. Would have killed psychologist. Yeah. So, Yeah. It it wound up in a place that I didn't like. Like, that's not what I wanted for him. I would have been okay with him going back to the way he was before, like reaching too high and coming back down to a place where he could kind of go home or learn his lesson and go back to Molly, like find Molly, be reunited or something. Even if it was just like, it could have ended with him, like walking in and finding Zena talking to Molly or something like that and be like, Hey, (laughs) I could have just cut it there, but they went a much darker direction. They sure did. Yeah, so I thought I thought this was overall interesting. As I said, I enjoyed the first half more than the second. The the whole carnival, everything I had to do with that was great, and I really enjoyed it. I don't know if I enjoyed this. Well, I obviously didn't enjoy the second half as much, but you could be correct. Could be one of those ones that the longer I'm away from it, the more I'm going to be able to appreciate it. Yeah. But there's just things about it that it's never it's never going in my top 100. It's not. Probably not even in my top 500, maybe. I don't know. But, like, there's – it's okay. It's – you didn't happen to watch that YouTube video I sent you, did you? Where some guy who I'd never watched on YouTube was talking about the death of these mid-level movies. Yeah, mid-budget movies. Yes, 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 I did. And this is one of those movies, I think. It falls into that category. It's not an indie, and it's not a big blockbuster. It's that right in between probably 20 to $70 million to make – and to just make a modest profit, not trying to make billions, you know, nothing like that. And I, I still think movies like this need to be made. Uh, that was yeah. it's it was an important point that that guy made in that how how it's either tiny indie movies or these super big budget things that that's all Hollywood wants to make. And we Hollywood really used to have all these mid budget movies that were that were really great and had to have really great stories in order to be able to hook audiences and you know bring in the modest amounts of money that they can bring in yeah this i actually was thinking about that video during this movie like this is exactly the kind of movie that they're talking about Mm -hmm. a movie that doesn't have to be made like by committee or through some formula 
like the Marvel secret recipe assembly line sort of way of doing it. <laughs> it can be a story that you just go through or an experience that you just have. And then it's done. Like it doesn't have to feed into something else. It doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be something that you can rewatch a thousand times. It's just, it is what it is. And it's creative. And I, I thought about that a lot during this, that this is pretty much exactly the kind of movie that, that they were talking about that, that we just, we just don't get anymore. Yeah, I agree. It's it's we need more movies like this. Even if I wasn't a big fan of maybe some of the things that happened in this, I enjoyed it enough that I want to support these and I want more of them to be made because like one of the things he mentioned in the video that we watched was actors really cut their teeth on movies like this. Like they can really, you know, have some have some good chances to show what kind of performer they really are. And that's that's what we need. We still need that. We we can't just have all of the other. We need some of the. We need a lot of that still too. Yeah, it it's it's like a good palate cleanser. Hmm? It kind of makes you appreciate and also maybe contextualize the movies that are just like fun popcorn movies. You know, like you get to just have something different something that's a little bit more engaging and a little bit more grounded and in some ways more realistic. But yes, he already through this conversation. I like it a little better than I did to start. Yeah. I think I might be able to say the same thing at the really the overall end of this. So I I guess, I mean, what it comes down to, what it always comes down to everyone, me, Ryan, what do you say, man? Is this a watch or not a watch? It, I would say it's a watch. It's definitely not for kids. There's some pretty, I mean, it's very brief, but some fairly graphic violence. Kim is ridiculous in the way that she will watch things with real violence or like real descriptions of real things that have happened to people that are like horrifying that I don't want to hear because it's very easy for me to separate that. I could, oh, TV violence, not real. Like I'm not literally watching a Viking chopping people up with like his axe or whatever. Like, I'm just watching this show. So, but she can't handle TV violence. Anyway, I was like, do you mind if I just finish this here on this TV? And she was like, yeah, sure. No problem. Is it violent? And I said, no, no, not really. I said, they're, they're like Ron Perlman punched Bradley Cooper a couple times, but it's all right. And then immediately you see Bradley Cooper, like punch Richard Jenkins face off. Yeah. Like just, just beat the hell out of him. It was really brutal, really yeah. brutal. And, was, yeah. and then it got even more brutal when he ran the guy over the security, his, uh, his bodyguard over. That was, ooh, yeah, was I thought it was going to be one of those things where they like cut because he's accelerating and you see him holding the steering wheel and everything. And I thought it was going to be like every other movie and show where the way they get that across is and he like bounces in the seat. No, that guy gets dragged under the car for ways like he gets mm. messed up messed up and i mean we're talking 1940s car so it's made of metal like you're not getting hit in the face with plastic no no you are getting your body's being destroyed by basically a tank it's ridiculous so. yeah so unfortunately those were the parts that she like really walked in on and i was like well, it wasn't violent before, and she's like, it's okay. And she just started reading something on her phone. She's like, I'm just not going to look at it. Uh, well, yeah, I'd agree with you. I call it a watch. 
Uh, as I said, I'm not. I wouldn't like buy the movie. I wouldn't maybe pay full theater price to go see something like this. But having had, if you got access to it, just watch it. I think it's if you want a nice little psychological thriller, it's it's worth it's worth a watch. So Holligans, I think that's going to be it for us for this another just fantastic, obviously just award winning episode of Movie Hal. And if you want to get a hold of us, I'm pretty sure there's areas where you can get a hold of us. If if you would, if you would mind, please. Anybody? Is anybody out there? If you're listening, something, anything, pretty pretty please. Yeah, write a movie recommendation. Give it to your local carny. They'll put it in a big metal bowl. They're pulled with alcohol in it, and then they'll burn that right. Right. And then yeah. it goes into the ether. Failing that though, and please don't do it in your home. You know, it has to be a trained carny who's who knows how to send the messages to us specifically. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Other than that, though, you can use email, moviehowl at gmail.com, or Twitter at moviehowl. Yep, hit us up, everyone. We want to hear it. Until then, thank you, as always, for listening. We appreciate it. We enjoy doing it. We're going to keep doing it. Uh, until next time, I've been Joe. I have been Ryan. And we are out.